0: President Trump heads out on his first international trip, a nine-day visit abroad to Saudi Arabia, Israel, the Vatican, a NATO meeting in Brussels, and finally a G7 meeting in Sicily. In advance of the president's trip, National Security Advisor H.R. McMaster outlined in a news conference the administration's priorities for Trump's international debut.
1: The trip has three core purposes. First, to reaffirm America's global leadership. Second, to continue building key relationships with world leaders, and third, to broadcast a message of unity to America's friends and to the faithful of the three of three of the world's greatest religions.
0: But these goals might be in jeopardy after a tumultuous two weeks in Washington found the White House navigating its way through what felt like non-stop breaking news. It started when Trump fired FBI Director James Comey last week, which, if you can believe it, was only last week. Here's what's happened since. Trump told NBC News that he was thinking of the Russia investigation when he made the decision to fire Comey. Then, Trump tweeted a thinly-veiled threat to Comey, suggesting that there were, quote, tapes of their conversations. Then, the Post reported that Trump revealed highly classified information to Russian diplomats in a meeting at the White House. And then it was reported first by the New York Times that Comey wrote a memo recounting a conversation during which Trump told Comey he hoped he would, quote, let this go. This being the investigation into Trump's then national security adviser, Michael Flynn. And finally, all of this has culminated in the Justice Department's decision Wednesday to appoint a special counsel to investigate possible coordination between President Trump's associates and Russian officials. And just so it's clear, a special counsel is a person appointed to oversee a criminal probe when the Justice Department either has a conflict of interest or it's deemed in the public interest to have a special counsel. The special counsel, who in this case is former FBI Director Robert Mueller, ultimately decides whether criminal charges are warranted here. OK, that's a lot. So, given all of this going on here in America, what can Trump actually accomplish abroad? Can Trump achieve the goals McMaster laid out? And can the trip work as a restart of some kind for Trump's administration? This is Can He Do That?, a podcast that explores the powers and limitations of the American presidency. I'm Allison Michaels. help us figure this out, we have Pulitzer Prize winning senior correspondent at The Post, Kevin Sullivan, here with us. Kevin is particularly well-suited to be here because he just returned from Saudi Arabia, which is where Trump will be making his very first stop on this trip. Kevin, thank you so much for being here. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. I know you're fresh off some, a plane. You've got some jet lag. So I appreciate the, the bright and early early joining me here. OK, so let's just get started Trump is going to be facing a lot of distraction at home while he travels abroad. Let's start with the big development from this week, which is the appointment of a special counsel. Is that going to actually take some heat off of him while he's abroad or or will it make things worse? What do you think?
2: I think these things are so important to us here and they're obviously very, very important issues. But when he goes overseas, he gets a bit of a pass on them. There's very few people in Saudi Arabia where I was. Who are talking about anything about these things. There's always an information gap between what we know about other countries and what other countries know about us. Like I, I don't imagine there's anyone, very few people in this country could name the king of Saudi Arabia. I mean, we know why it's important, but we don't pay attention to it in that, that sort of detail. And a lot of people over there are kind of savvy consumers of, of news and they do know what's going on, but not to the extent that they're, they're worried about Trump's domestic problems here in that level of detail.
0: Yeah. So can you tell me a little bit more about what the environment in Saudi Arabia is like right now in anticipation of his visit? You know, you just kind of mentioned that people aren't necessarily paying attention to the minute by minute breaking news over here. But but are they concerned about anything that Trump has said in the past? Or, you know, what, what's the general sentiment over there?
2: The general sentiment is that he's very welcome. And for one main reason, and that's that he's not Barack Obama. Obama was very, very positive about change in the Middle East and youth and empowerment, democracy. And And he said a lot of things that were very encouraging about that. This made the Saudi monarchy crazy because they viewed this as an incredible existential threat to their ability to to rule their country. Then in Syria, we had Obama's red line where he said, if they use chemical weapons, we'll respond. And he didn't. And this made the Saudis crazy because the Saudis want more action in in Syria. So they said Obama came in. He said all the right things and then did all the wrong things. And with Trump, they sort of pointing out that he's done the opposite. He came in saying a lot of things that made people crazy over there about Muslims and about the Middle East and but very quickly he bombed Syria which they thought was the best thing they'd ever seen people told me he was like a national hero over there for doing that because people would say you know we're tired of the suffering we're tired of inaction we want America to lead on this so Trump is going to walk into a maybe not a rapturous welcome but something close to that mainly because people are optimistic about what he's done and the fact that he's going to change policies from Obama
0: Trump's speech in Saudi Arabia, it's supposed to focus on Islam. It's supposed to focus on themes of religious tolerance. We know Trump has criticized Muslims repeatedly on the campaign trail. He's issued an executive order banning entry for people from seven Muslim-majority countries. It's very striking to me that there's going to be such a kind of warm reception to him in Saudi Arabia. How does what he said in the past contribute to the perception of him there? Does it? It sounds like it doesn't very much.
2: It's absolutely fascinating because you talk to some people and they say, listen, Saudi people are not as naive as, as you think. We we understand what's going on here, and we know that he had to say those things to get elected. We didn't like what he said, but we're willing to kind of write it off as, as overheated campaign rhetoric. As long as he doesn't start saying those things as president, we'll be fine. But I also talk to other people, particularly young people. I talked to a young woman in a, in a mall over there, which is you know, kind of the main uh, outlet for entertainment, people go to the mall. And I talked to these two young women, they were cousins, and they were celebrating the 24th birthday of one of them. So they're they're young people. And they said, you know, we've never been to America. We had planned to go this summer. But because of the things that Trump said, we're not going to go, we don't want to be discriminated against. And we don't trust your country to be Welcoming to us, so we're going to go to Greece instead.
0: Yeah, it's particularly interesting because Saudi Arabia was not included among the seven countries in Trump's initial immigration ban. So perhaps other Muslims in countries around Saudi Arabia or countries that were included on that list would have a completely different approach, or would share more what, what you're hearing from the young people.
2: You know, Islam is a really uniting factor over there, and I think you know for a lot of these a lot of these people, if you insult Islam. It doesn't, they don't really care what country it's in. They take that very seriously, but people want good relations with the United States. It doesn't matter who the president is, really. They want to have good relations because these are very, these are lopsided relationships. And if you're Saudi Arabia, you need the United States. You need it in, in many, many ways. You need it in security terms. You need it, you need it as an economic partner. You, can't, you don't have the luxury of standing up and saying, we don't like the guy you've elected as president, so we're going to stop being your ally. They can't do that. They have to deal, they have to deal with the cards they've been dealt. And in this case, they're willing to overlook a lot of what Trump has said.
0: So this isn't the first time in American history that a president has taken an international trip amidst what is a lot of domestic controversy. Jonathan Tepperman is the managing editor of Foreign Affairs magazine and the author of The Fix, How Nations Survive and Thrive in a World in Decline. And I spoke with him about why presidents go on trips at times like this, how they've been perceived, and what this could mean for President Trump. Here's Jonathan. Generally, how much do domestic crises and, and turmoil going on inside of America affect kind of the international perception of America?
1: I guess it depends on the crises and the magnitude of those crises. During the impeachment scandal of Bill Clinton, for example, the rest of the world kind of shrugged their shoulders and thought this is Americans being censorious and prudish and it's not something that we would do in our own countries. And uh, it didn't affect uh perceptions of the Clinton presidency, let alone of the United States at all.
0: You mentioned that Bill Clinton traveled abroad in 1998 during the Monica Lewinsky scandal, and Nixon also traveled to the Middle East amid the Watergate scandal in in 1974. Are these moments, moments that actually helped those presidents project an image and, and reset things at home? You know, we talked about how that's generally been the approach. Did it work for those two presidents?
1: I think because of the very different nature of those scandals, the answer is very different. So it didn't do much for Nixon, who, you know, to his credit, already had a an image as an impressive international statesman. The problem was that the scandal building at home was so big that by that point nothing was going to distract Americans' attention. In Clinton's case, because the scandal seems such a tawdry one and such a minor one to so many people. Uh, I think there was a a real appetite, both at home and abroad, to focus on other things. And and it did allow him to do that.
0: What is it about international trips that kind of lend themselves to this this scripted, sanitized setting that, that can help out a president's image?
1: Yeah, I mean, there. so there are three reasons why presidents normally love these kinds of foreign trips. And the first is um, there's all of this pomp and circumstance um, uh, associated with them, red carpets waiting for them at every airport that they land at, military guards, um, state dinners, foreign countries bend over backwards to make a big show and as big an event of the visit of the U.S. president as they can. The second is that it often does allow presidents to distract themselves and distract the American public from troubles that they're having at home by projecting this more regal presidential image abroad. And the third reason that presidents tend to love these foreign trips so much is because they do have greater liberty in foreign policy than they do in just about any other area of American government. And they don't have to work through the other institutions in U.S. government like Congress, for example.
0: Okay, so let's move on to Israel. So right now, Trump heads to the Middle East, and this comes after he has revealed classified intelligence from Israel to the Russians. How does this piece of information, the fact that Trump did this, how does that complicate his meeting with Israel?
1: Well, Trump came in promising to be the most pro-Israel president in American history, and a lot of Israelis, especially Netanyahu and and his allies in government, um, bought it, and they were very, very excited. But Trump has made a number of moves since taking office that have really disappointed and frustrated the Israelis. One is he hasn't done anything about moving the embassy to Jerusalem, as he promised. Um, He started putting pressure on them over settlement construction, which is something that he um, suggested he was never going to do, and and that took them completely by surprise. Uh, It's going to be tricky, and it's going to get even trickier if Trump decides to wade into the Middle East peace process, like he's now suggested he's going to do as well.
0: Right. So clearly a really difficult situation here. To your knowledge, have we seen anything like this in the past where a president heads to visit one of our allies amid some sort of tumult between the two countries?
1: Boy, I can't think of a scandal of this magnitude because I can't think of a time when an American president has done anything close to this in terms of of exposing the intelligence of an allied member and really um, potentially putting members of the intelligence service of that ally in harm's way of of, of endangering them.
0: When a president does travel abroad and and kind of speaks about international relationships, words obviously matter a lot. So what are some major moments in this trip or or topics where where Trump really needs to stick to the script and he needs to be clear about what he's saying, places where he can't diverge and kind of, you know, be, be loose lipped as he sometimes is?
1: I would say the easiest trips uh, or the easiest stops on the trip will probably be Belgium, where he speaks to NATO members, because there's so much built-in trust and flexibility in those relationships that go way so far beyond the particular president that they're extremely resilient. Because of the incredible sensitivities of both the Israelis and the Palestinians and all of the... Um, this fraught background that we already discussed, that's going to be really, really tricky.
0: Right. And one of the things that he said he wants to accomplish is, you know, helping unite everyone in the fight against ISIS. How would you say Trump's recent actions have put up obstacles when it comes to the fight against, you know, global terrorism in general?
1: Yeah. um, Well, he's doing, I should say, exactly what Islamic radicals want him to do. Every time that he says something divisive that suggests that there's a fundamental divide between the West and Muslims, that Muslims are not welcome in the West, that the United States is not only not friendly to, but is hostile to Muslims, that hands groups like ISIS and al-Qaeda a great propaganda tool that they can use in their attempt to convince other Muslims that, indeed, they are waging a culture war against uh, an implacable crusader enemy that will never accept uh, Islam and, and that, in fact, despises it.
0: So I guess part of the fight against terrorism is is intelligence sharing with our allies. What, what does it mean to be an ally in terms of information sharing? Can you kind of describe what that entails?
1: Sure. The answer is that there's sort of a whole graded spectrum of allies and what we share with whom. And the innermost circle... Are what are known as the Five Eyes: um, the United States, Canada, Great Britain, Australia, and New Zealand, who, under agreement, have very, very, uh, a very, very tight intelligence relationship where they share with each other information that they they don't share with anybody else. And then there's a an outer ring, and there the kind of information that we share um, depends on the issues of the moment.
0: So, what kinds of things put these intelligence sharing relationships in jeopardy?
1: Well, I mean, we've just seen it. Whenever the U.S. shows that it's not a reliable keeper of secrets, it makes other governments and other intelligence services much more leery about um, about sharing those secrets.
0: What does President Trump need to achieve on this trip in order to have it be considered a success?
1: Well, domestically, he needs to look presidential and avoid creating a a daily scandal every day that he's abroad, which means keeping off Twitter, and somehow stopping this constant drumbeat of revelations, whether it's about the Comey firing or about the intelligence sharing with Russians or or the U.S. relationship with Russia in general that are making it impossible for the administration to get anything done. So that's domestically. Um, And then internationally, if he can strengthen the relationship, the security relationship and, and the more symbolic relationship with Saudi Arabia, if he can actually make some progress with the Israelis and the Palestinians, even if it's only on a rhetorical level, all of that would give him at least an ability to claim victory in any one of these cases.
0: So the administration really wants to see this upcoming trip as a restart, they've said so. Can that work? Do you think that this trip will have kind of a reset effect for the Trump administration?
2: It's hard to see how that will work. It's not going to reset anything overseas. I mean, he already has a lot of goodwill built up. All he can do, I I think, really, on this trip, the only thing he can do is damage himself. He already has pretty good standing with these folks who are willing to give him the benefit of the doubt and see how his policies play out. And at home, it's just hard for me to believe that uh, having the president on the road for a few days is going to make people forget all of this this avalanche of stuff that's been coming out in his first hundred and some odd days. Um, I don't know. It might give might give it might give him a little bit of a breather, but I I don't think so. I think history sort of shows that Congress is not going to forget about this. The press is not going to forget about this. This. All of these domestic issues are going to continue rolling along, even though he's overseas. Right.
0: And it's not just the Muslim world, right? He's also visiting Israel. He's visiting the Vatican. He's going to NATO um, or NATO summit, rather. What could go wrong? (laughs) So, So we will see, you know, even if he does have this really welcome reception from in Saudi Arabia, as you've mentioned, do you think that, it will. His entire trip will kind of have this this welcome reception everywhere he stops.
2: Well, here we're back to making predictions about Donald Trump, right? So, um, <laughs> and we know that doesn't work. So, we know as a fact that he he has a lot of goodwill built up in the Muslim world. We know as a fact that he has a lot of goodwill built up with Israel. So maybe that will, you know, maybe he'll that'll be another safe place for him. Maybe the Vatican, I, you know, Pope Francis has been very clear about how he feels about walls and some of the other things that Trump has said. So. I don't know um, we just just there's there are so many ways this trip could go sideways
0: yeah and of course you know when he travels to Israel there are sensitive things there's certain language that he should or shouldn't be using to kind of keep things peaceful so what should we look for there
2: there's an assumption in your question that Trump's wa- Trump wants to keep things smooth and peaceful right um, I'm not sure that that's a correct assumption. <laughs> you know he's he's shown i mean he he was elected president to shake things up and he's certainly done that here and i i he has no regard for the rules traditions norms that have come before proudly he has said that so if he goes to israel and he starts talking about you know moving the embassy if he starts uh, talking about other very very sensitive issues there, uh, yeah, I mean it had, the whole thing has a chance to go absolutely kaboom very quickly um, if he's not careful. But who's to say that he doesn't want that? Who's to say that he doesn't see some advantage in shaking up that relationship? But I, you know, if you try to get inside the mind of Donald Trump, that maybe he may think that there needs to be a whole new direction in that relationship. He may be willing to blow things up and to take the take the heat from it. But doesn't mean it's going to be a comfortable trip.
0: OK, so we'll, we'll get to our final question that really gets to the heart of all of this, which is essentially in light of recent news at home, can Trump sort of maintain the trust of our foreign allies abroad?
2: Yes, he can. I think that, that right now we've seen, you know, the, it's, there's all of this chaos going on here at home. The White House is in chaos. You have all of these various scandals swirling all around at the same time. Some of them overlap. Some of them are different and in Saudi Arabia everybody's saying it's just noise we don't care we are interested we're not interested in words we're not interested in all your domestic theatrics we're interested in what he's going to do for us and so as long as he keeps doing that as long as he can maintain that that he's with us thing people in Saudi Arabia people in Qatar people in you know in any of these countries that he's he's going to be talking to really don't care they want him to get his they want him to be effective they want him to stay in office um, and they want him to be with them and as long as he can do that all of the rest of it is just noise
0: yeah interesting okay kevin thank you so much for coming on the show after a long flight i appreciate it thank you all right you know the drill if you like this review it on apple Podcasts. listen wherever you get your podcast share it with your friends and keep on listening because if these past two weeks tell us anything there's a lot more to come Can He Do That? is a team effort here at The Post. It's produced by the talented Carol Alderman, with design help from Kat Rudell Brooks and logo art from Loren Boglio. The Washington 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 Post. If you like Can He Do That? you should check out some of our other great podcasts, like Cape Up with Jonathan Capehart, where Jonathan's interviews reveal the people behind today's biggest news. Or Try Presidential, where host Lillian Cunningham spent a year exploring the character and legacy of each of the American presidents. You can find these shows anywhere you listen to podcasts and learn more online at washingtonpost.com slash podcasts. That's washingtonpost.com slash podcasts.